Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Non-Traditional Scholar Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jan is my name. Pleasure to be with you on this new 45 to an hour journey in discovering a new testimony dedicated to inspire, connect, resonate, and hopefully compel you to push persevere and achieve what you're trying to achieve in this thing called life before i go into the specifics of our latest interviewee i would like to thank all of our faithful audience for sticking with us and continuing to listen and feel compelled to stay consistent with us on this journey we are about to reach one year live and direct on all podcast platforms we started this in march of 2023 we are now approaching february 2024 we are grateful for your continued connection and your continued commitment to us as we are just as committed to you for those of you who wish to spread the love and let others know what we're trying to do with this podcast please like rate five stars on Spotify and all podcast platforms and reach out, let us know how we are doing. It means the world to us. So let's get right into it. The latest episode starts now. So I'd like to start this episode by asking, have you ever needed to take a break from something? Step back and pause and reassess whether you're putting in the right effort and the right energy into what you were trying to manifest or or work on? What were some of those thoughts or emotions that you were feeling right before you had to stop and reroute yourself? And how long, for those of you who returned, how long did it take you to come back? Think about some of the feelings, thoughts, emotions that you felt upon deciding to return next thing i want you to ask is was that break valuable was it necessary did it make or break you did the break break keep those thoughts in mind when you're listening to this testimony because a break was ultimately vital to the manifestation of this person's life and journey and ultimately purpose if i were to ask if you were to pursue a break in school how long of a break would you need to think it was enough to return and how long of a break would you think would be too long of a break for you to give up and let school pass you by on average people say a semester some others have responded to this question by saying two semesters. So one semester would be about four months, two semesters would be about one year. The average response regarding that question and how long it would take someone to to return. Anything longer than a year, people start to distance themselves and separate themselves more often than not, never return to pursuing the education that they enrolled for years prior. So with that said, 
Think about 12 years. Think about if you would have the wherewithal and the fortitude to return and pursue an education after 12 years, never step footing into a classroom. A 12 year gap may seem insurmountable, but in this story, you will see how those 12 years embody the person who experienced that and allowed them to become the person that they are today. So without further ado, allow me to introduce you to immigrant and professor Rodney Castillo, a professor at Miami-Dade College who teaches English and literature. And that's not all, folks. Allow him to tell you the rest. Welcome to the latest episode of the Non-Traditional Scholar Podcast titled The 12-Year Gap. Let's begin. So hello, my friend. How are you? Thank you very much for taking the time to have a conversation with me for the podcast. To get the audience a little bit more acquainted with who you are, could you please introduce yourself and what you are doing currently as far as your profession? So my name is Rodney Castillo. I am currently a professor at Miami Day College. I teach English and literature. Fairly recently, I, I, I became a full-time faculty. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, before that, I was an adjunct professor for about four years. Four years? Okay. Yes. And prior to that, I spent 22 years in the network administration and cybersecurity industry. 22? 22 years. Wow. Yes. A good chapter in your life was focused on, on IT. On IT and technology, yes. So let me ask you this, Rodney. If I were to pose you the question of when you were younger, what was your greatest passion, would you have said literature or IT? None of the above. <laughs> okay. None of the above. Uh, if So if you have asked me that question when I was young, like, uh, I would have said uh, biochemistry, like my dad. Really? Your dad was a biochemist? My dad was a biochemist. Wow. And, and my mom was an organic chemist. Wow. So I come from a family of scientists. Scientists. And that's what you wanted to do when you were younger? Absolutely. Yeah. I grew up in, inside my father's lab, running around uh, and messing up experiments. Really? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you wanted to be a scientist like mom and, and specifically like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, where did you grow up? Uh, Cuba. In well, Cuba. in Cuba. Okay. And how long did you spend in the on the island? I left when I was 13 years old in, in 1994. So in 1994, you came here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 13, so you were just about to start your journey in teenage, teenage development and the teenage chapter. Were you still interested in being a scientist at the age of 13? Yes. You did. You were. Perhaps I was already leaning towards literature a little bit. Uh, my parents, despite the fact that they were scientists, they always enjoyed reading. Yeah. And from when I was a child, my mother would read to me books, Jules Verne. Uh, Solidarity, I mean, world literature. So I developed a passion for reading since I was a kid. Since you were a kid. Yes. You were interested. When you came here, how did the shift in interest uh, begin? In other words, where did Rodney start to realize that uh, 
the yearning for being a scientist was not as powerful as other things that you had going on. So I'll share two things. As far as computers go, I started with gay. That was my passion. Yeah. I was teen. <laughs> my, my father bought our first computer in 1997. It's a packet by Pentium 2. Okay. And bought a couple of games. Uh, at that time, financials were tight, so we couldn't afford a lot. And I remember that he started to use a computer for the house finances. Okay. And when he was at work, I will play. And one day I broke the computer when he was working. I see. And I figured that either I fixed it before he got home or I was a dead person. <laughs> and I pulled out the manual and I started thinking with the computer and I got it working again. And I was like, huh, this is fun. I see. Not breaking it, but fixing it. It was fun. was really fascinated me that I could do this. Okay. Um, so I started to develop an interest in, in IT. Okay. When I started high school, uh, I was placed in advanced placement for Spanish. All right. And I was fortunate enough to have a teacher by the name of Dr. Cruz Alvarez. And he was one of those people that inspires you. He spoke about six languages. Wow. Fluently. Wow. And he instilled in me the idea that Language can change the world. The words have power. That's right. And that got me started into the world of literature as well. So I started to develop both of the same. You you were in AP Spanish in ninth grade? Tenth grade. Tenth grade. Oh, at tenth grade is where Dr. Cruz Alvarez started to open your mind towards literature and the power of words. So let me ask you a question. What was your favorite video game? Oh, okay. My favorite video game was Diablo 1. Diablo 1. Diablo 1. Which my parents uh, had a problem with. <laughs> the words. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had to explain to my parents that it was uh, me defending the forces of good against Diablo. I see. You were against. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but that's, that was my favorite game for quite a while. Okay. Um, and then uh, Age of Empires came about and things like that. So a lot of history-driven games. I see. Oh, sure. Okay, okay. So you're in high school here. You're in AP Spanish. Uh, how was your English at the time? That's, that's a good question. A lot of people that meet me now are unaware that throughout my life, I've always struggled with a speech impediment. Really? Yeah, I still No way. I would have never guessed. And it was bad. Uh, if somebody would have said, you're going to be a professor at some point in your life, I said, you, you're drinking too much. <laughs> wow. Because I was one, I have, I had such a stutter issue that it would take me a while to have one sentence come across in Spanish. Spanish. And then when I started to learn English, the language came easy to me as far as understanding it, as far as writing it. But learning it became a struggle as far as the spoken word. To the point that I will never forget one day that my mom said, you need to calm down because I can no longer understand you in either English nor 
spirals. Wow. Because I, w- I would just freeze and not be able to speak. So that was a big issue for me. And uh, one that I went through a lot of therapy, most of it didn't work. So I ended up coming up with my own personal solution to it, which to this day is the one that I still use. And what was that? So those of us that stutter, we kind of foresee when we're about to get stuck. There are certain letters that trigger us getting stuck. So we see it coming. So what I had to do is I had to, and through reading this helped a lot, I had to enhance my vocabulary in such a way that when I see that I'm going to get stuck in a word when I'm talking to you, I'll replace it with a synonym. I see. On the fly. Oh, that's great. And to this day, that's what I, I do. Incredibly skillful. Yeah. yeah. So that's helped you avoid falling into the trap of it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Once I figured that formula out, and it took me a while, then English became just as natural to me as Spanish. That's incredible. So in this time of your life, dealing with the speech impediment and finding literature, would you say at that time your preference in literature was focused in Spanish literature? Yes. 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 Um, perhaps I will say that my favorite writer uh, in Spanish literature was, in poetry, was... Federico García Lorca, uh, in short stories, uh, will be uh, Jorge Luis Borges. And those were probably the ones that influenced me the most. The most? Yes. When did you trans transition into being interested in English literature? Later on? Later on, I, I will think, and again, I will have to mention one more teacher in my life. Okay. I, that will be my 12th grade English teacher. Okay. Um, Esther Gonzalez. Uh, Miss Gonzalez was one of these teachers that brought the word to life. So when I get to 12th grade and it's English, I have been looking forward to being in her class a lot. Really? Throughout my high, because she was known to be the best. And when 12th grade comes around, I don't get placed in her class because advisors place you wherever you they can. Yes. And I go up to her, I go to her classroom, I say, I need to be in your class. I need to learn from you. And and she looks around and says, my class is full. Every single desk was full. And I go, I went out of her classroom, stole a desk from another classroom, <laughs> brought her to her classroom, so can I please be in your class? And she said, yes, you can. Wow. And she brought Shakespeare to life for me. I love Shakespeare largely because of her at first in my life. Shakespeare became the source of my interest in literature for uh, at first, to the point that when I went to grad school, I specialized in Shakespeare. And she later on, yeah, she was the canonist. Yes, yes. Uh, I remember we studied the Canterbury Tales, and there was a story of the story of the cook, and there's a recipe, and she brought the recipe to the classroom. Wow. And we ate medieval food in her class. That's incredible. Oh, absolutely. No wonder it's unforgettable. Oh, yeah. This type of teaching. Okay. So, before we continue along with the journey, I'd like to ask you something in terms of what you do and your expertise. I've noticed that even before college, there are certain students who find the 
English and the English course and writing and literature to be dense and, and very difficult for them to, to grasp in terms of relevance and interest okay. and how they can use what you learn in, in an English course, even before college, how you can take those skills and those theories and those concepts and apply it in their life to better develop themselves. How do you manage to try to break that misconception that many students walk into an 1101 or an 1102 class? How do you challenge, how do, how do you face that challenge? So for the most part, students that encounter that challenge walk into a classroom and to an, in, in, in the 1101 classroom, assuming that this course will have nothing to do with their major. They're business majors, they're nursing majors, they are architect majors. And English majors are, are rare. Yeah. They're, they're very few. <laughs> so when they walk into an English 1101 level two course, uh, they're like, I'm being forced here. Uh, this is a requirement. And they treat it as such. So the first challenge is the student believing that the content does not relate to them. So the first, the very first day, the very first week of class, I do my best to connect the idea that language and writing is a skill essential to success regardless of major. I always tell them that Noam Chomsky, the linguist, said that we are interfaces. Yes. And the language allows us to come together. Okay. And they, once they start seeing that language is embedded into their very soul of whatever they do, whether it is, I tell them language is as important to get a job as it is important to communicate identity, as it is important to land, approach the person you like and make sure you get a date. Yes. That all those things that we engage in daily life, is language and communication, they started to open a little bit towards the idea that, yes, this is actually that relates to me. And then the second thing that I do as a professor is to make sure that the text that they engage with are relatable. Because often, some of us are doing under the assumption that just because something is a classic work, it has to be drilled into a studio. True. And I am not participant of the idea. I believe that it is my job to find texts that the student can relate to. I always tell my students this, and I'm honest about it. I say, if I ever give you a text to engage with, and you find it terribly boring and that you cannot relate to it, let me know. I need that feedback from you. That's right. Because that means that I need to look for something that does get to you because that reflects in your experience and your writing. When I start my class, I say, how many people here love Shakespeare? I always get two or three hands, maybe. Nah. Most of them look forward to Shakespeare like they, like they look forward to the root and <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yet it has been in my experience by the, the, by the time they're finished with my class, most of them will go on to enjoy the occasional play, to, to see Shakespeare not as, as, as this writer from the 1500s that is totally unrelatable, but that some, somebody who wrote 
about themes that still to this very day we engage with. Excellent. So yeah, excellent. That 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 I really appreciate uh, you unpacking that for the audience and for me because uh, how you explained it is demonstrable the fluidity and being able to not stick to rigid text and being able to adapt class by class, student by student. I think that's excellent. Excellent. When you graduated from high school, what were your objectives once you had a diploma in your hand? Go to college. Go to, go to college. Dad. We're taught that, right? It's like as soon as you graduate from high school, that's what you need to do. Go to college. So I did. Okay. So that was my first goal. And what did you originally pursue when you transferred to college? And where did you go? I went to Mary Day College. Yeah. Uh, North Campus. North, North Campus at first. But then my first semester was not very successful. Really? No. I I started to get not very good grades uh, in Institute 101. <laughs> Ironically. Ironically so. And I didn't do well in my math class in my first semester. There were a lot of factors into that. Okay. For example, one of them was that I didn't have transportation okay, to, do, now, to get to the campus. So I had to depend on my mom to drive me to, to the college and then pick me up. Okay. And that placed a great burden upon her because she had a job. So I had to, I couldn't go to school in the mornings. I had to start going somewhere in the afternoons and nights where whatever she, I had to film my classes around her schedule. Around her schedule. And the back and forth consume a lot of time. And I I realized quite quickly also that I needed to get a job. Because, yes, studying was important. But at the same time, house finances needed me to get a job. Yeah. So between one field and another, uh, my perfect college experience that I had envisioned in, 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 high, in high school kind of started to crumble I see rather quickly and as a young person that perhaps was not still as as well versed in how the mechanics of the United States uh, and college worked uh, because I was the first one going to college from my family in the United States which is very different which is quite different from all the countries I I guess I didn't know where to ask for help because I'm sure that the college had resources available. Right. But I just didn't, I was not aware of them. And I, I dropped out of college. You dropped out? I dropped out the first semester? After the first semester. Wow. Now, as a professor, I hear the importance that it is for us to uh, work with students and make sure that they have all the resources available because the first semester is so important. Right. And that also, that always resonates with me because yes, it is. Yes. It is. It will take me a long time to return after that. How many classes did you take in the first semester? Uh, four. 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 So after one semester, I dropped. You dropped out. Oh yeah. You went straight to work. Where were you working? So I had a part-time job at a high school in the library as a clerk. Okay. Yes. Part-time. Part-time. In the library. <laughs> so you left high school and you came right back. To work in high school that I graduated from. Huh. Yeah, I graduated from Miami Springs Senior High. Miami Springs. And I went back to work there. At Miami Springs. As a clerk. And how was the your experience as a worker compared to the student? 
Well, it was great. Yeah. Um, I worked in a library surrounded by books, so that was perfect for me. Ideal. Ideal. And it kind of triggered me into, started to get interest again in IT. Oh, yeah? Yes, because um, the school was acquiring computers at that time. Okay. Uh, it was fairly early into the computer age within the schools. When I was a student, we had like three or four. And now we were getting more and more and more computers. Okay. And I started to I started being a, almost like a part-time tech because I would fix the computers in the library. Okay. And I realized this is this is this is something I can do. Okay. So shortly after that I started to study and getting the industry certifications that IT requires in order for you to get a job. And how did how did you go about receiving those certificates? Through Miami Date or another so these certifications, you can, there are courses for them, but you can take the test. Unless you can present yourself, and if you study and you pass the test, you get the certification. Without having to take a course. Right. I see. Industry certification. So Microsoft has MCSC, MCSA, CompTIA has the A+, the N+, the S+. I started to get those. Okay. And those certifications allowed you to work more in the field. Yeah. I shortly after a few years after I was hired by Miami County College Schools in their IT department. Wow. Yeah. Man, so from scientist to an individual who was very passionate about literature to returning to unpacking computers and rebuilding them again. Okay, so now you're in Miami Dade County Public Schools working in the IT department. And what are your specific responsibilities at, at the beginning of that venture? So at first it was troubleshooting hardware, right? Fixing computers, replacing keyboards, replacing hard drives, re-imaging computers. Okay. Uh, from there, I would move up in the ranks within the IT department and I became a server administrator. Okay. And I started being more responsible for server security, for implemented uh, group policies, wow. managing the Active Directory, things like that. For the entire Miami-Dade County school? For for a group of schools. Okay, good. So for a region. Okay, good. So okay. That will cover Miami Springs, Pasha Payalia, some schools in Doral. So you had like a district, would you? It's divided by regions, okay. so mine was region three. Region three. And you stayed working in this region for how long? 22 years. 22 years. <laughs> 22 years. That's more than two decades. Nearly a quarter century. Nearly a quarter of someone's life if they were to live to 100 years old. Rodney spent 22 years in a career in IT, information technology, that was fruitful, rewarding, beneficial, and gratifying for him. He grew, he was very successful, and he started from the bottom, and you heard where he arrived at. But something was missing. Something in his story was missing and ultimately created a void in Rodney's life despite the successful 22-year career that he experienced. So what was missing and how and when 
did Rodney realize that he needed to change and reroute himself into something that he had perhaps forgotten as a distant memory long, long ago? What was that and how was he able to reroute himself to find what was missing? Ultimately, in those 22 years, which was purpose. Well, let's find out. Second part of Rodney's story, just as inspiring begins now. How would you describe your experience during those 22 years? Ups, downs? There were moments of struggle, for sure. Um, because, and at the same time, it was fascinating because you had to always be on top of things as far as staying up to date with the technology. The changes will happen every X amount of years. At first, we only had computers and we had smart boards. And then perhaps the most fascinating aspect of my job was helping teachers implement technology with education. That was the most gratifying. The most gratifying and perhaps the most difficult. At the same time. At the same time. Because you had teachers that were looking forward to using the technology. Right. And you had teachers that refused to use the technology. Right. So you had to navigate those waters rather carefully. That was very interesting for you to describe because that sounded like unconscious preparation for what was to come. You acted like a, a teacher, an educator there, and you had varying degrees of students that either were very interested or very defiant in terms of what you were teaching them. Yeah, absolutely. That was challenging. Quite so. Quite so. Quite so. Quite so. Over the years, it got a little better because your some teachers retired, newer teachers started to arrive, more uh, willing to engage with uh, the technology. Okay. And there were waves of and trends of damage. Like, for example, there were years that the trend was let's rearrange all the keys in a keyboard. <laughs> okay. And yeah. that was quite simple. I, yeah. There were trends of others like let's break the different the mice, for example. And, and they started in middle school. By the time I got them in high school, the text from the other uh, schools, so, um, you're getting these. <laughs> They're coming to you. And I was like, okay, I'll get ready for that. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. I see. But it was a very rewarding experience. Uh, whenever I, I will get to see an instructor use the technology and, and see students uh, use it was, was quite something. Perhaps the best example is when COVID hit. Okay. When the pandemic hit and we had to distribute hundreds of thousands of laptops and provide support for all that equipment remotely and see how important it became for instruction. The technology became essential. Right. You, you saw that your work had a lot of value and, and that was rewarding. That was very rewarding. I can imagine. I can imagine. Talk about a pivot in itself, mm -hmm. having to, you know, adjust and adapt to that new reality as people liked to label it well, when we were in that pandemic day-to-day -day life. But talk to me about the moment you started to notice an itch. Whoa, it's a good way to describe it. And uh, when did you start to scratch that itch? And 
how did you go into pursuing and investigating? Right. So even though I am, I thoroughly enjoy my job, I am, and my job pay very well. IT pays. Of that course. Questionably so. Of course. So I, IT, I was earn, I was earning good money. I was enjoying my job, but at the same time, I realized that I enjoy teaching. Uh, whenever I was instructing thing, the teachers how to use technology, I enjoy that. And I also noticed something else in me. Throughout those years that I was working in IT, every single friend of mine that had doubts about going to college or hesitated, they can attest that I bullied them into going to college. You were their, their cheerleader. Yes. I see. And I found myself tutoring some of them in English or in other class in history. You were helping them. Yes. So there's a, there's a whole group of, of individuals in my life that got a college degree before me because I pushed them to finish. <laughs> Interesting. And at some point, a couple of them got together and did some sort of intervention, you could say, okay. And they got, okay, enough. You need to go to college and you need to do what you have bullied us into, into doing ourselves. And they all had successful jobs as well. I didn't feel that need because I was successful at my job. Right. I liked it. But at the same time, yeah, there was that itch. Like you rightly described that I wanted to go through the college life. I wanted to have a degree. I wanted to explore something else. How old were you when you decided to scratch TV? Oh, I came back to college in 2010. 2010. So I was 30 years old. 30 years old when you returned. Yes. So 12 years. 12 years. No college. No. Helping others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were some of your initial thoughts upon deciding to return? Well, I, at first I was like, should I do it? Because it consumes time. And the, and the answer was yes. The answer was yes. Then I, I, when I returned, I, I came and there's an ongoing joke with some of my friends on this because I returned to college and my GPA was 0.4. Because of course it followed me from the first semester. First semester. So my welcome back to college was a GPA of 0.4 and academic probation. Oh. <laughs> yes. Red carpet. Red carpet. <laughs> and that I, I came to Hialeah campus. Yeah. Before we had this beautiful building. Uh, it was the previous building. The uh, previous building. Yeah. And I remember one of my very first professors was Corinne Lockamy. Because I had to take that SLS class that she taught for students success. for success skills. And she's perhaps one of the reasons why I, I, I stayed. Because she makes sure that the doors open up successfully, that I will be inspired to stay. Within two semesters, my GPA went from 0 0.4 to 4.0. Wow. 
That gave me goosebumps. Yes. 0 0.4 to 4.0. The numbers flip. The numbers flip. Rightly so. Mm -hmm. Rightly so. What were some of the resources or factors mm. that changed or were different regarding first semester out of high school and first semester 30 years old coming back? The most important factor was the drive. In you? In me. I knew I wanted at this point in my life to go through college. There was a, a drive for me to push forward, a, a, a maturity in thought that this is not, I wasn't doing it because this is what society tells me to do, but because I wanted to do it. Because I wanted to add that experience to, to, to my life. But also perhaps the other major factor was the fact that I knew at that point how to ask for help. Because the first time around I didn't, I didn't know how to ask for help. And now I did. After this many years, I grew up as a person and I understood there were resources available. I understood that people were willing to help if, if you open up or you ask. And I did, and I did. I got out of academic probation, I had people who guided me through through certain things, uh, advisors who's, who helped me balance the the load because now I had a full-time job. At the same time. At the same time. That didn't time. go away. That didn't go away, you know. Uh, and I was a full-time student as well. I, I started to take full, uh, I remember, I believe it was close to my last summer in Miami Day. I asked to ask for special permission because during one semester I took 18 credits. Eight, that's six classes. That's six classes, yes. And that was during the summer? It was uh, during, was it? No, it was during my last semester. The last semester. Yeah. Took six classes. 40 hour work week, mm -hmm. 18 credits. Yes. Because you wanted to finish. Yes. Because of course, a 30 year old, you're in a hurry. Yeah. With a hurry. You want to you wanna get, get done. done. Yeah. Was your choice of major when you returned the same? when you first started when you were 18 or was it different? I was torn between two passions that had developed during this period of nearly 23, yeah, or 22 years. One was literature for sure. And the other was history. Okay. So I was somewhere in between language and history. And history. What made me choose literature was when I transferred to, to FIU. Okay. When I transferred to FIU, and I still took historic courses, I took literature courses, but the English department at FIU is, is pretty amazing. Great. Uh, the professors uh, are wonderful. And the moment that I met some of these professors who will later become my mentors, I said, I want to be on them. To this very day, students of mine that have taken my classes at Miami Day College have later taken classes with these professors at FIU, and they have come back. I said, I have met an older you. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, these are the ones that taught me how to be a good professor. That's wonderful. Yeah. Full circle. Full circle. Full circle. So before we get there, mm -hmm. take me. So you, are, you obviously earned your AA from Miami Dade College. Yes. What were some of your thoughts regarding? finishing that part of your academic career and earning the AA and how did that AA propel you forward to pursue what was next? 
the first part of the answer that I'm going to give you deals not so much with me. And it deals closer with my parents. I understand. Because my parents sacrifice a lot to come to the United States to provide me and my brother with, with, with opportunity. They were scientists as your scientists. Right. And here they face the same struggles that many immigrant families face. And although unspoken because they never raised the issue, there was a certain level of unspoken frustration in the fact that their son had not gone to college. I see. Uh, which was a hope that they had. So perhaps one of the happiest moments that I can share was my graduation from Miami Lake College. Because, of course, I attended commencement. Right. And, of course, they were there. Right. And it's hard to think of another time that my parents seemed so and and so overjoy at the fact that their son was graduating college to see me walk and uh, it was a dream come true for them beautiful and that was perhaps one of the most important parts of that i felt that my chapter in london dc was more for that in many ways than it was for me wonderful yes and and, and that is something to to this day they have never missed a commencement uh at all Ever. And, and I have offended all of them, even if I didn't want to. Because <laughs> commencements are for our parents, yeah. as, as much as it is for us. I, I was very proud of myself as well. I managed to, to graduate with a full photo from my AA. Even pro, I earned A's in my math classes, which were not easy. Yeah. Uh, math was always what my, my weakest point. Greatest challenge. My greatest challenge. And I have to admit that both, not only did I invest time to get a good grade, but the professors here helped me a lot. The tutoring programs here helped me a lot. Uh, sometimes as students, we have to find out one way or another that each class requires a different amount of time. Mm -hmm. And I will spend hours on my math classes. And, 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 I, and I did well. And, and that is something that I transmit to my students as well. Wonderful. So, yeah, that, that was very important for me as a whole. Beautiful. And I, I think I speak for those in the audience that walked your shoes and are hoping to walk your shoes one day as well, that that moment isn't just about us and how proud we are of ourselves, but for the people who sacrificed and gave us this opportunity. For you. So then... The next academic chapter is FIU, correct? And you're still a full-time IT worker. So take me to your journey in FIU. And that is where you mentioned you decided at, in that particular moment in your life and in that chapter where you were going to focus on literature, correct? Yes. Yes. How? When I started to take English courses, literature courses at FIU, it took me back to my... AP Spanish professors, it took me back to my 12th grade English teacher because I met with the same caliber of, of teaching. You do. Uh, with amazing professors that unlocked language and literature as the embodiment of the human experience. And one professor that I will be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, Dr. Asha Milbauer, 
runs a program at FIU that deals with exile and immigration and the literature of exile yeah. and displacement. And perhaps that's what captured me because I started to see, to see literature through the lens of the immigrant, the displaced and the exile. And that program provided me with the vocabulary to understand a lot of my own experience and the experience of those around me. And it hooked me, it hooked me. And I did my bachelor's in, in English with a minor, which is a bit random, but a minor in Asian studies. Asian? With focus on Japanese culture. Any particular reason why? Yes, I, I've done martial arts for 16 years. 16 years, okay. And uh, currently have my own dojo in Miami. Really? Yes. Congratulations. Thank you, Paul. And uh, so that that part of my life kind of guided me through. I wanted a minor in it. Okay. Um, so yes. Great. All fields, all, all time periods in literature. But I started to lean as early as my bachelor towards uh, Shakespeare studies. Okay. At some point, I didn't want my, my bachelor's to end. So I started to take less classes to kind of push along it, prolong it. Until one day, Dr. Mel Bauer sits me in his office and says, um, how many credits are you missing? Yeah, you're graduating. <laughs> About hooked. Yes. He, he, he sat me down and says, you need to go, but not, I'm not kicking you out. You need to go because you need to start your your master's Thanks, Dad. Which was a step that I didn't consider before. I was going to ask you, but you were 30. Coming back to Miami-Dade College after that intervention, how far did you forecast? And did you ever envision you having the opportunity to pursue grad school? No, I didn't. Uh, to me, the bachelor was going to be it. And I was going to have the diploma on my wall in my office at work, look at it, and be content. That was the expectation. That, that was my expectation that I wasn't going to do a lot with it because I had a job. You had a lot. A career. I had a career that I had been doing for quite a while. Yeah. So, no, I, I this is as far as I'm going to go. And then when I started to contemplate grad school, that same professor, Dr. Milbauer, said to me, I want you to go, but you don't do a master's in literature because you like to read books. That's not what we do. If you want that, just go buy books and read at your house. But if you feel passion for teaching and you want to pursue eventually a career in teacher, this is what you might want to consider. So I had to contemplate that. Did I want to teach? Maybe. I, because although I had overcome my speech impediment to some degree, I was like, I still am not sure if I can face a classroom. Uh, on a daily basis. Right. But I started. I signed up. I I chose FIU. Uh, I was accepted at other universities, but because I had a job that anchored me in Miami, that kind of limited as well. Uh, reality kind of settles in. Yeah. And 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 I decided to go uh, to FIU for my uh, for my grad years. Fortunately, as well. I, I got into an ongoing study abroad program in England. Okay. So I started to spend 
my uh, my summers studying uh, at the Shakespeare Birthplace Institute in Stratford-upon-Avon. What an opportunity. Quite so, quite so. Uh, that formed a lot of what I would become later on. And I finished my master's in 2019. In Congratulations. Thank you. And in August of 2019, I became an adjunct at Miami College. I didn't wait. Right in. I didn't wait. I, I wanted, I, uh, by the end of my master's, I had this urge that I had something to share. And beyond the academic content that I wanted to share, beyond teaching students about Shakespeare and about writing and about the, the importance of language, because I had a full-time job and the time available to me to teach was nighttime, I realized that I wanted to help all the students succeed in college. The same type of students that I had been at some point. And that was very important for me. And I did that for nearly four years. Yeah. Until? Until I, I, that's another funny story. <laughs> Until I apply to be a full-time professor here. At Miami Day. Again, I never thought I would have done that. I thought if you would have asked me half a year ago, I would have said, I'm going to retire from my IT job. I will continue to be an adjunct professor until, until I grow old and retire for real. But the opportunity came along and I had observed how much more of an impact full-time faculty gets to have upon students. Very true. And I told myself, I, I want that. I want to be able to help students in a more efficient way, in, in a more fulfilling way, in, in, in more ways than just teaching. And through the faculty position, you are now fortunate enough to provide them with some of the resources that you experienced in grad school, like study abroad. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to start a study abroad soon in, in here highly at campus. I wonder. There, there are things that I want to, that I'm bringing with me, but perhaps the most important thing that I bring with me as a full-time faculty is what we could call my non-traditional experience. Because I have been told by someone some of my friends over time is like, why don't you go and teach elsewhere? Now that you have certain freedoms, why don't you go to another institution? Why do you, why don't we pursue teaching a program where you teach English majors only? And my answer has always been thus far that Miami Day College has a very special place in my heart because through our halls, through our classrooms, the students that we get are, are just amazing. They have a drive for success and they have a, a desire to succeed in life. And if I can contribute to that, if I can add to that. So, and I think that all professors here feel the same way. Yes. That. Student by student, we're making society better. We're 
making society a more harmonious place and a place where dreams come true. Yes. Sometimes I look at my students and I see doubt and I see uncertainty. And some of them express the idea they're not sure what they want. They don't know why they're here. And having the the responsibility and the job to guide them and to provide uh, help in getting them to fulfill their goals, it's perhaps the most rewarding thing I've done in my life. Uh, I, I now, and I've said this recently to somebody, it's like, the salary is just a bonus. It's great I get paid for it. Yeah. But- but but no, it's it's the true reward is I already since I've been teaching as an adjunct for four years before, I have students that come back to me and now they are in medicine school or or they are in law school, and and they come back and tell me my experience and a day helped me shape and get here. There is no greater reward than that. Right. When I interview for the full time position, I. I was asked along the lines at some point, well, why do you want to teach here? It's because because they gave me the opportunity to succeed uh, in ways that I want to repay that in kind as well. And I want others to succeed where, so if I can be part of that, that's just great. Yeah. That's fantastic. I applaud for your dedication and sharing such a, a wonderful and and inspirational journey to the professor that you are today. Before we close, I'd like to ask one last question. Sure. In terms of your field, and you already mentioned some of the challenges you face currently regarding students and their relationship with English and literature, and writing, and the power of words. How do you feel, because, you know, you are really into computers and technology, and how do you feel English and literature is going to evolve and intersect with the new popular technology that is the talk of higher education? Yeah. Mm, Okay. Yes, so something that... It's, it's, it's the new elephant in the room that sometimes we're, we're trying to work around or with. Let's see. What I tell my students, number one, is that AI, like other things before, should be seen and handled as a tool. When we, when Microsoft developed uh, Word, we all said spelling is going to go out the window because of spell check. Yes. What's going to happen to writing? Yes. But it became a tool. We still write. And we still have proper spelling. Absolutely. But it became a shortcut to help us with getting society to meet society's faster, faster pace because society speeds up gradually so and we develop tools for it so ai should be seen as a tool and i tell my students if i assign you an essay 
what he said, what is it that you cannot do? Don't tell AI to write the essay for you. That's what not to do. Yes. But what can you use AI for? Ask the AI questions. Use it as an additional tool in order to make your work more efficient, better. I, I don't have any fear that AI is going to replace our writing or that it's going to handicap creativity. Because in my experience, and this I tell my students this, if AI raises the bar of creativity, humans are going to just need it and surpass. surpass. And it's, it, it is a healthy contest. It is a healthy contest that, that, that we should not avoid, that we should embrace. Embrace. Uh, absolutely. To deny the fact that language and literature are somehow divorced from technology is in some ways to doom the field uh, to becoming obsolete. Wow. There's a, there's a quote that I always share with my students um, and is war is what happens when language fails by Margaret Atwood. And tools like AI are gonna, should be used to help us make language more accessible and communication more effective to avoid things like war, to express ourselves better. And I think that's how I approach that subject. And, 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 and I am fortunate that a lot of my students are technology, pursuing technology majors, and they look up upon language as this alien thing. And it's like, no, because technology is a form of language. Yes, it is. So it's just a question of our mindset, how we approach it. How we approach and embrace. Absolutely. Professor Castillo, Roddy Castillo, it was a pleasure to have you share your testimony with the audience or with the podcast. I really appreciate it. If there's anything you'd like to say in closing uh, your episode, feel free. Uh, I give you the floor. I appreciate that. And I, I thank you uh, for, for inviting me in and to share this this few minutes with, with, with you and with your audience. If there's one message that I would like to get across, for your audience to, to know is that if there are Miami Dade College students, number one, they're in the right place. That is absolutely true. And wherever field they decide to pursue, number one, don't give up. Don't give up because life may happen, but as long as you stay true to your dream, eventually comes true yeah. if you work for it. Yeah. But perhaps my most important message is ask for help. We have so many resources available for students. And every year we have more and more that if they just ask for help, there is dozens of doors that will open. And the moment you realize that, and that you're not alone in your struggle, that Financials may be tough, that personal relationship may, may, may be difficult, but that professors and the college are geared towards helping the student. Then life becomes a lot easier. Success becomes a lot easier to within our reach. And that's what they should keep in mind. In honor of 
what you teach and what I teach and understanding the power of language and the power of words, I'd like to say that you just gave the audience and myself keys that are vital towards opening those doors. And those keys are essentially connected to how well you use language to communicate and ask when your mind may be trying to convince you otherwise. What a powerful story. And what inspiring words of advice Professor Rodney Castillo was able to deliver and express on his episode of the Not Traditional Scholar podcast. I think if there's anything that you can take away from Rodney's journey and his testimony, it's to use your source of inspiration as the driving focus towards the life you'd like to live. I'll say it again. Use your source of inspiration as the driving focus dedicated to getting you to the place where you are living the life that you are aspiring to live. And in that journey, you will notice how life is unique. We all are made up of the same organs. We all have the same tissues. We all have the same blood and we are all one human race but life is incredibly unique in terms of experience and language and words are essential to being able to master one's life and being able to convey one's experience in order for it to relate to someone else that connection was explained and delivered by Professor Castillo. This concludes our episode titled The 12 Year Gap. We hope you enjoyed. Please rate the podcast five stars on Spotify and whatever podcast platforms you are enjoying the episodes on. We are coming back for more. And uh, pretty soon we will reach our one year anniversary and on that particular episode, we're going to set off the podcast with a bang. Boom. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, my name is Yacht. Until next time, take care.